This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, as we were working with the children, uh, and we just had that picture uh, this morning, uh, a picture of what took place as an angel came to Peter uh, to set him free, to carry him forward, to take him out of a prison. Uh, God uses different people in our lives to set us free from many different things. Uh, sometimes the prison we're in isn't actually with metal bars. Sometimes the prison can be a wide open space that looks nothing like a prison, yet we still feel completely trapped. That we just feel we have no choices, we have no options, we have no place to go. Well, what we're going to do throughout this Lenten journey as a congregation is we're going to allow God's people to speak to us through the Psalms. We're going to allow the songbook of God's people to help us understand that, you know, the Bible's filled with lots of people who are happy and it's filled with lots of people who are, yeah, not so happy, sad, disgruntled, angry, upset, concerned, and a lot of that they actually bring to the Lord. Uh, sometimes people will accuse Christians of, well, you know, you guys just all say everything's perfect. Well, if you, you might say that if you've never read the Bible. <laughs> if you've actually read the Bible, you realize it's a book filled with imperfect people and one perfect God. Uh, and that's what we're going to do as we go in. So if you have your Bible, open up Psalm 25 is where we're going to spend uh, the, the bulk of our time this morning. And we're going to see this, this open secret, uh, the open secret that God's people are in need and they're in need of a Lord. Whether or not people recognize it, well, we're going to let the psalmist speak to us. So Psalm 25, verse 1 to 2, uh, we have again here another psalm written by David. We started on Ash Wednesday looking at Psalm 51, when David is accused by Nathan uh, of falling into adultery with Bathsheba. Now we hear uh, again, David, and we get some echoes of what David was doing there in Psalm 51 here. Listen to the opening verses. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Do any of you, in hearing that opening verse, do you hear music? There's a couple of you, I'm sure. Like some of these songs, they get set to music. So you see, like, to you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul to you. I mean, just like you kind of get, well, this is what the Psalms were. The neat part is we don't know which tune it was. So if you've got one tune in your head and someone else has a different, that's great. To God be the glory. But what you have David doing here is, to you, O oh Lord, I lift up my soul. I give everything up to you. So the question here is, where do you place your trust? David writes and says, Lord, I lift up my soul to you, but where is it that you find yourself uh, doing that? Now, somewhere around like November and December, we all started to think, you know, not all. Some of you are like, oh, I didn't think this at all. Well, there was a large number of people who thought, this market will never go down. Why are you guys laughing now? I mean, it's, it's a different thing. Like, if you put your trust in that, you found out, oops. We could make a funnier one, right? And hopefully none of you did this. If any of you invested everything you had in Bitcoin, I'm sorry. <laughs> no one would tell us, though, because they're like, well, I got in in December. Getting in like four years ago, maybe. But uh, I just share, where do you put your trust? What if you put your trust in your marriage and then it fell apart? What if you put your trust in your kids and they actually didn't follow in the faith that you had raised them? What if you put your trust in your pastor and he fell? And I don't mean he fell and tripped. He left the faith. Where you put your trust and what happens can be 
catastrophic to us as a person if the center of who we are just disintegrates around us. Well, today we hear the psalmist actually take us into a a very honest picture. As David takes us now to verse 3, it says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. So he asks the question, where do you put your trust? He puts it, Lord, I lift my soul to you. But none who put their trust in the Lord will be put to shame. None. See, there's no like a few might, most. No, just none. None who trust the Lord will be left alone. None will be left, says the Lord. See, this is the difference between putting trust in something else and putting the Lord. We have a certain hope, the psalmist writes, in the Lord. But it has to be in the Lord. Now, this seems like a catch, but there's a big difference between trusting in the Lord and trust. See, trust without the Lord doesn't have something to hold on to. Remember the first time someone said, oh, you'll you'll be okay home alone? Well, you weren't quite certain of it. You didn't know if it would actually uh, be there. Trust needs proof. Trust needs something that it can actually grasp onto. Trust in the Lord. Trust in what? The Lord's actions and the Lord's completed actions and the Lord's ones he's promised. See, the more you read the scripture, the more you see God has cared for his people through good and bad. You've seen them weather the different storms. We started in Genesis. And you have what seems to be a great trial that is given. Take your son and do what? Kill him. I mean, I know, oh, this is a sacrifice. Who said there's actually... no. I'm sorry, no matter who asks you to put your son on an altar and to sacrifice him as a parent, you would still view it as what? It's just, this is death. Now, I realize that, yes, he has confidence that God's going to do something. It plays out completely, but it's still... Why does he do it? Because he has trust in the Lord. He had seen what the Lord had done in other parts of his life, and he goes, I can do this because I know God's going to do something. And if the something is before I kill my son or after, he's going to do it. Unfortunately for us, many times we put stipulations. We trust you, Lord, until. We trust you, Lord, as long as you. We trust you if it happens by this date. If I get it here, if I complete it there, if my son gets to, if I will complete, if I earn then I will trust. The scriptures give us many examples of people doubting, putting out fleeces, put dew on the fleece, bringing fleeces in, put everywhere else. I mean, just all these tests that people put. Why? Because the scripture is filled with people like you and me, people who want God to prove himself individually to us on our terms. Well, the psalmist continues for us. Verse 6 as we jump ahead, takes us a little bit further into this account. And it says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been of old. See, one of the challenges for us is, who is it that we're actually placing our trust in and whose actions? The psalmist writes, Remember whose mercy? Remember your mercy. David makes no claim that David should get things. So if you've laid a claim that I did this for this many seasons, I served in this way in the Lord's house, I did this for a decade, for two decades, I did all of these actions, David doesn't claim any of that. He just says, Lord, remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. The claim for any mercy and any love given to David is because of who God 
is. Not because of who I am, who I am in Christ. That is vitally important to who I am as Mike Merker. But it is only because I have a Lord who is merciful and a Lord who loves without ceasing. See, the claim to me as a Christian is not a claim to me. It's a claim to Christ and a claim that Christ made. The more we echo God's promises, the more God goes, ah, now you see. Now you see clearly this is what I have given to you. We end up being as God's people. We're reminding him of himself. He hasn't forgotten But trust me, the more you lay claim of what God has said, you start to see the freedom that he wants to give to you. Remember last Wednesday, we looked at Psalm 51. Some of you were gathered with us, others were not able to make it. But again, as we looked at that psalm, we found that mercy comes from the Lord. This is that echo from 25 to 51. You hear this merciful piece of setting there that mercy is what God is doing. We talked on Wednesday night about our prayers not focusing on praying that we would pray, but that we would seek God's mercy, that God would actually bestow on us part of who he is at his core, that he is a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, which some of you are like, hey, I just sang that. Yeah, you did. It's Joel 2.13. Oh, that's in Joel. This is in Psalms. I know, because God actually writes one unified message. This is the joy of the Scripture. Scripture does interpret Scripture. Scripture does unlock for us more of what God does. But I guarantee you, someone in your life has said, the Scripture is filled with contradictions and challenges and fallacies. That's the message of someone who doesn't want anyone to actually be able to be in charge of them. I've heard many different pushes and pokes and prods against the Scripture. But I've heard few people poke and prod who don't want a God to be above them who may actually have something to say about their life. Who may have something to say that perhaps they're out of line. Perhaps they need to be called back into what God is doing. David also knew the challenge of a God whose steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. A God whose mercy is new ever morning. He says this, remember not the sins of my youth. You see, a sin committed at 8, 18, 28, 48, or 78, or 102 is still a sin. (laughs) But I think a lot of us might agree we did some of a really good sinning when we were young. When we really got busy uh, when we were younger. Now as adults, we just pretend that they're not sins. Isn't that weird? Now we just pretend they're not. You know, because that's just something teenagers do. We're all guilty, but you have David here talking. He goes, Lord, don't remember. I know you can. Please choose not to. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to, here it is again, according to your steadfast love. Not because I've earned the credits that you would stop looking. Not because I'm so good that you shouldn't. Lord, just because you love that much. I know you know every one of them. I know you could recount to me my entire junior year of high school. Don't. (laughs) But you could. Don't do it. Some of you are like, David didn't go to high school. I know. It's an illustration. But do realize, someone else is like, but he did go to education. I know. But he had those things, and he recalls them. Isn't this interesting? The sins of my youth. Most of us would think just of the one great sin of David, right? (laughs) David's like, there is lots of stuff that would put me under, Lord. He doesn't actually say, remember, the sin of my youth, does he? He says, remember the sins. David's very aware of David. Uh, He has become self-aware. Nathan has helped him in this uh, to remind him of who he is. 
Yet the psalmist also takes back this plea, and he says the plea for mercy is directed to the nature of God. See, our approach to mercy, of mercy for our Lord, as we even speak to him when we gather in worship, confessing sins and receiving forgiveness, is because we are going to the Lord for what he's doing. Look at verse 8 and 9. David continues this as he unpacks for us that we have a faithful God, faithful to what he has said. Verse 8 and 9, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. God doesn't just ask you to come and say, hey, Lord, forgive me, and then he leaves you. No, he says, I'll be with you the entire time. I want to teach you. I want to instruct you. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. To lift up your soul is actually to give your being to God. Lord, here's my inner being. What is your soul? Well, it's not your, it's your everything that's inside of you that makes you wired, that gets you talking and speaking and being and doing. I'm lifting that to you, Lord. I want you to have that, said the psalmist. And the nature of God, the one to which we plead, is pure and it is unadulterated. That's who we're going towards. We go to a perfect Lord. We go to a perfect Lord and it is for whose sake that he will forgive us? For your name's sake. See, David goes and just says, because you are Lord, because you are Christ, because you are everlasting, because you are God the Father, just because of your name, do this so your name is honored. That's bold. Did you ever go to your parents that way? Just because you're a parent, because you're an authority over me, because you have this, please allow me to do this, just because you're a parent. (laughs) I never attempted that. I always would try to hook and turn and dodge and dive and weave to find my parents, please do this for me because of this, and I'll do this. It'll be the last time I ever ask. And then I'd ask the next day or an hour later for something else. No, David comes and he says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Just for your name, just because of who you are at your court, so that your name would be honored above all names. Your name should never be disrespected so that your name doesn't have any blemish on it, though it does not at this time. That's where he goes. He doesn't say, because I did this, because I've accomplished this, because I've repented really well, because I've written some psalms, because people will talk about me, because remember, I'm, I'm David, you know, lineage of David. I mean, that's going to be a big thing later in the future of this whole Christian church, Lord, so you'll want to make me look good. None of that. He says, for your name's sake, because you are who you are. We sometimes don't talk about God enough. We talk about God, but we don't actually talk about God. A perfect being who thought to bring a world into existence that includes you and me. It's fascinating. It's an amazing love story. We get snippets of it, but this is really what David's getting to in the core as the psalmist writes to us. You see, forgiveness is at the center of who God is because he loves. Verse 12 to 14, give us this. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. God will make known to you his promise. He will make known to you who he is. He will make known that he has told the people, I will care for you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. That was the covenant, I just want you to be my people. I'll do the God thing. You don't have to worry about being God. You don't have to worry about fixing the world or doing all these things. Just be my people. I'll take care of the big stuff. Focus on what you have. 
Some of the biggest problems we get into in life is when we try to do the stuff that isn't ours to do. Well, I got to do this because they didn't take care of that, and I got to fix all that too. Just do your corner of life. God will take care of all the others. Focus on what you have to do. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. And about 2 o'clock this afternoon, some of you are going to get real worried about tomorrow. It's a funny thing about being human. We can say it this morning in worship, but when we go to live it, we need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to guide us so that what we know, what we actually know intellectually can move to here. That we actually can start living and say, well, I get the Scripture, and I get, Lord, that you've said that, but living it's, well, that's difficult because you don't work with who I work with. (laughs) The Lord knows who you work with, I assure you. Uh, And he will work miracles, sometimes in the time you want, and sometimes after you've retired from that position. And you don't even work with that person anymore. But it still works out. God's got this thing. Listen to verse 15 to 19. I'm not going to split it. I just want you to hear the, the pressure and the pain uh, that David refers to. That he talks about this hope and strength that he has. So David names challenges around him. He says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble. Forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. This is the man who's who's throwing himself before the Lord. I've got some troubles. Our nation is sorting out how we deal with the Parkland shooting. And for some of us, if I overheard correctly, I hear there's a family actually from Sandy Hook here. Did I hear that? Yeah. I mean, I mean they're reliving it. And for them to hear that, well, how is this happening again? Where is it that we actually find our peace in the midst of this? As David writes, he goes, there's sorrow, there's pain, there's angst, there's disgust, there's discouragement. Lord, you've got to step in to see this. Guns and discord and hatred and bigotry. So where do we flee? Unfortunately, one of the places we are fleeing now as a people is social media. Man, you've you got to learn to shut that stuff off. Like if it's not a picture of your kid riding a bike, like, do you need to post it? I mean, it's disgusting uh, how we are just hateful and that we believe that we need to interject vitriol into every person. Uh, it's so sad. Well, they need to hear my opinion, do they? Or do you have a corner of your life that you need to take care of? Has God maybe given you a place, whoa, I have a new audience now that I've got thousands of followers. So you can tear people down? (laughs) Some of you are like, I don't ever post anything. Do you read it? Because if you do, you're still giving it the same audience. Don't give it an audience. Don't give it the chance to tear at you. God says he'll build you up through his word as we turn to him for his name's sake, for his mercy. Yet rather than falling into despair, that's what David does. David doesn't get wrapped up in it. He calls out and says, I've got this hatred. I've got people who are hating against me. But Lord, I need you to change the fundamentals of who I am. David doesn't say, change the whole world. David starts and just says, Lord, have mercy on me. Change is going to start right here. And you know what? It can then change a whole community. It's amazing what one person who is fully changed can do to a room. But it's got to start with you. And that's why the Lord comes to us in his body and blood. He comes and says, my body given and shed for you so that you are fed, so that you are nurtured, so you have a faithful God who comes into your life. David continues verse 20 and 21, and he says, oh, guard my soul and deliver me. 
guard my soul. See, I'm going back out into the ramparts. I'm going back out to where it's rough. I'm going to where the bombs are falling. See, for most of us, this is kind of our chance to be in a safe place. We can sing hymns that we know and songs we've grown up with, uh, but the moment we kind of walk out that door, the barrage can hit us. And sometimes the barrage hits you right where? In the seat you're in. But David calls out and says, Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. I take refuge in you, Lord. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. It's a different discussion, isn't it? See, David changes it. Lord, have mercy on me, and I'm going to wait on you. See, I'm not sitting there going, Lord, you've got to do this now. It's got to happen at this point. He goes, because your name is great, because of who you are, I will wait for you. I will let your timing happen as you see fit, because you're faithful to who you are, and your promises are from everlasting to everlasting. When we approach the Lord, don't cite your merits. Cite God's merits. Lord, I come to you asking forgiveness because I know you desire none to fall. Lord, I come to you because I watched you save Noah and his family, eight souls and all. Lord, I come to you because I watched what you did with Gideon. Lord, I come to you because I watched you deliver the people out of Egypt. Lord, those are my stories. They're my stories because I have been named by you. They're not some foreign story. It's mine because I'm in your family. Lord, you adopted me as your son, as your daughter. When you're in a family, all the stories are yours. Some we tell and some we... Yeah, that's right. Some we don't. You won't even acknowledge them. You're like, we don't even acknowledge those stories. They're all ours. Well, the scriptures are filled with great stories of God overcoming the challenges of human existence. Our first reading from the New Testament, came from James. And I just want to draw in conclusion, we're going to wrap up and just want to help bring some of those scriptures together for us as we've read through Psalm 25. James writes this to the scattered church, to what is called the diaspora Christians. So they're they're the Jews who now are, are spreading out. And he writes and says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. See, what I'm laying here for you is to realize as we talk about a faithful God, there's this challenge when we go out into the world and things get rough, that it's, well, God forgot me. James writes, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. See, a lot of the psalm was to remind us of, unfortunately, our inner core without the Lord is sinful and deceitful and can get us wrapped up in dark things very quickly. But our Lord, who for his own name's sake will forgive, Our Lord, because of his everlasting love, will be there for us. Writes this also then in Mark. As we hear of Jesus being baptized, he says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at at hand. Just put your hand out for a moment. Just kind of wiggle your fingers around. Is it your hand? How close is it to you? This is not a trick question. I know you're like, it's one of his tricks. Not a trick question. How close is your hand? close. See, the language God uses here is to remind you, the kingdom of God is at, it's a hand. It's right here. It's present. We encounter God as he comes to us. He is right here, and he says, repent and believe, so that we will have that everlasting mercy. In just a few moments, the Lord will feed us with his body and blood, because his kingdom is at 
And all God's people said, at hand. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.